to turn to the Gospel of Luke once again. The Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. So last week we heard from uh, the Gospel of Luke, we heard Jesus ask us if we trust that he knows where abundant life is, where it is for us, where it is for our loved ones, for our communities, and if we are willing to follow him to it. Uh, This week, Jesus has another important question for us, which is, do we trust that he actually wants to be a part of our life? Or we could say it this way, do we trust that he actually wants us to be a part of his life? And not just a part of his life in some general way, the way that, you know, when we go to Aldi, the people shopping with us are Hoosiers. Do we trust that Jesus wants us to be his friend? that he enjoys our company, and that he wants us to enjoy his company? That's the question at the heart of our text this morning. Uh, Also at the heart of our text is a concept that's widely misunderstood, and that consequently has, uh, I think, prevented us from understanding as deeply as we want to this important part of Jesus' ministry. And that concept is leprosy. We're going to talk about that more in a second, but just to say this at the start, uh, the Bible recognizes that the powers of death touch our lives in more than just one way. Death affects us physically, it also affects us spiritually, and it also affects us socially. For an example of this, think about addiction. Addiction doesn't only put the addict's life in physical danger. It also puts all their relationships in danger. The death of addiction creeps into the bond between parent and child, and between siblings, neighbors, and even the church of Jesus Christ. And while I think that the death that our society is attached to addiction is pretty closely related to the experience of death attached to leprosy in the the Bible I think it's important here to highlight even other forms of social death as well. Think about those who have been imprisoned and then released, or who are homeless. Think about those who are disfigured. What do ex-cons, the homeless, and the maimed all have in common? Usually, social alienation, social death. Now, that death takes on different forms, of course, but whatever forms it takes, walls of various kinds and thicknesses are erected between them and their families and their friends and their communities and, again, even the church of Jesus. And this morning, the question that Jesus has for those who have experienced those walls in any way is, do you believe that Jesus will tear them down because he wants you to be his friend? Do you believe that Jesus wants to share time and space with you, that he wants to welcome you into joy-filled life with him? And then for us as a church, the question Jesus has for us is, do we believe that Jesus really has broken down these walls, and will we intentionally and prayerfully partner with him in pouring his hospitality and friendship out to the least of these in our lives. So this is an important word for us this morning. Uh, Let's read Luke chapter 5, 12 through 16. We'll pray, and then we're going to meditate on all this together. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 12. 
While Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. The grass withers, the flower fades. This word of our God, thankfully, will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word which you have given to us. Lord, we know that it speaks powerfully of the way in which you break down uh, the walls that would keep us from believing that you want to be our friend and our savior and our father and our helper and our king. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand this word and that the spirit who inspired it would be at work in us to give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe. Father, may the words of my mouth as your preacher and may the meditation of all of our hearts as those called to hear and respond to your word, may it all now be pleasing in your sight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. At the very center of our passage is the leprous man's statement to Jesus, If you will, you can make me clean. Uh, for years and years, I misunderstood this as simply a statement of faith in Jesus' power to heal. And that's certainly there. The man is definitely confessing that Jesus does have the power to heal him. But there's more there than just that. I've come to see that behind this statement is a question about belonging. He's really asking if Jesus wants him and people like him to belong to this community that he is creating. Is Jesus willing to live with him? Does Jesus want to share a table with people like him? Is, is Jesus open to a friendship with him? And to see all of this, let's back up and let's talk about leprosy for a minute. This will probably surprise you, but in the Bible, the Greek word lepra, which we translate as leprosy, does not really refer to the debilitating skin disease that becomes known as leprosy much later on and is now known as Hansen's disease. That is not what leprosy is in the Bible. If you were to go back and look at just, for example, Leviticus 13 and 14, you'd see that leprosy is used for certain kind of skin rashes, boils, eye diseases, and hair discoloration. It's also used when mold appears in houses, and on pots, and on pans, and on clothing. And it's also used for a number of other things as well. You see, leprosy, as our Bible translate, as our translators have it, is not one particular disease. It's a bunch of things that can affect your body, your physical health, your clothing, the way you sort of present yourself out in the world, your house, and your home, the things that allow you to be hospitable and to live. And the word there is used, as far as Bible scholars can tell, to name things that seem to remind us or bring us 
to the boundaries between life and death, or to the boundaries of sickness and health, or to the boundaries of wholeness and brokenness. This is part of what being clean and unclean means in the Bible. Things that are away from those boundaries are clean, while things that are on or over those boundaries are unclean. And in the Old Testament, when somebody's body or possessions or house or home reached one of these boundary points between life and death, sickness and health, brokenness and wholeness, they were declared unclean, and then certain actions needed to be taken. Now, specifically for people, because we're talking about a man in this text, sometimes they had to shave the hair off uh, near any rashes and get different clothes. Uh, But most importantly, and most difficult, they had to separate themselves from normal societal functions. They couldn't attend church. They couldn't go to the store. They couldn't go to parties. And depending on what kind of leprosy they had, they couldn't even stay with their families. And if that makes you think of quarantining, that's kind of close to what it was in some occasions. In fact, uh, oftentimes leprosy would only last a few days like our quarantine. So it could be annoying, it could be frustrating, but it didn't necessarily impact your sense of self or your place in your family or community too much. But other times, leprosy, living on the boundaries, would drag on and on and on. And given that leprosy was multiple different kinds of things, you could lose one form of leprosy and get another kind and have it be replaced by yet another one. You could be, as our text says, someone who is full of leprosy. Being full of leprosy meant, inevitably, being filled with social rejection. Leprosy or uncleanness meant that you were not welcome. You could not fully participate in the life of those you love or of your community. You could not attend birthday parties or anniversaries or get close to your children or your wife or attend church or go to the store. And as this drug on and on, I don't think it takes us much imagination to think that many people were going to start acting like Job's friends. You know, he's had this leprosy for five years, three years, ten years. It must be a punishment for some kind of moral failing. God must be judging him. Or because being with people who are on the boundaries make us uncomfortable, it doesn't take much imagination to realize that most lepers would eventually become ignored, marginalized, put out of the mind, defriended. Now I know what you're thinking, or one of the things you're thinking is, well, why does God set up the Old Testament Old Testament Israel this way? And the short answer is, we don't totally know. Though there does appear to be reasons related to public health, there also appears to be reasons related to the fall and the salvation and how God wants his people to recognize that these issues exist because of sin in the world and that we need God to not only save us from our individual moral failings, but from the effects of the fall as well, and from death and disease and brokenness. 
But there's also another reason that I think is important for us to recognize too, because we do tend to stand in judgment over the Old Testament laws and say, well, how barbaric that there would even be this concept of clean and unclean. But my friends, every society has categories for clean and unclean. Every culture and society feels discomfort when brought face-to-face with the boundaries of life and death, health and sickness, brokenness and wholeness. Go to a hospital. Go to the home of a hoarder. Go sit down next to someone who's homeless or an addict and then pay attention to yourself. And see if you don't feel some kind of wall in some form rising in your heart to protect yourself from that boundary. See, every society and culture, because of the fall, has to live with those who occupy the borders of sickness and health, brokenness and wholeness, life and death. And while this isn't a sermon on the leprosy laws, I believe they existed because Jesus actually wanted to regulate how people lived with and within those boundaries as a form of mercy to everyone involved. And I'm going to return to that mercy at the end of the sermon. But for right now, just realize the effect that being full of leprosy would have. And if you've ever been socially outcast because of our modern-day sort of uncleannesses, addiction, homelessness, disfigurement, sometimes it feels like old age is a form of uncleanliness in our (laughs) society today, With that in mind, do you now hear what this man is asking Jesus when he says in verse 12, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Lord, if you will, you can restore me to life within the people of God. You can restore me to my family and my friends. Uh, Lord, you're a Jew, I'm a Jew, but we're alienated from our life together because of my Leprosies, but if you will, you can restore our life together as brothers. If you will, we can eat together. If you will, we can be friends. But only if you are willing to have me. Do you want me? That's behind the man's question. And that's the question that so many of us have, isn't it? Like, do you want me, Jesus, with the past that I have? Do you want me when my my own friends and family, they don't really want anything to do with me? Are you willing to cleanse me from the forces of death that are dividing me from the communities that I so deeply want to participate in? Will you bring me back from the borders of brokenness into the wholeness of the kingdom of God? And will you do that when I have absolutely nothing to offer you except my own helpless, broken self? My friends, that's the man's question. And Jesus' answer is so wonderful. Verse 13, I will. I desire it. I want that. Be clean. Yes, I want you. 
Yes, I will restore you. Yes, I will bring you wholeness. Yes, I want your friendship. My friends, this is so powerful. We're told in verse 15, this answer is so powerful, I should say, that we're told in verse 15, 15 that great crowds then started to gather around Jesus in order to hear him and be healed of what our text calls their infirmities, or you could also say to be healed from the things that make them weak, dishonored, unwelcome, the things that put them on the boundaries. See, once Jesus says that he wants the weak and outcast to be his friend, and that he wills to bring them out of the borders into the middle of his community, that he wants them to be a part of his people, they gather around him so that they can receive the friendship and welcome that he offers them. And so let's return to our first question. Do you believe that Jesus wants to be our friend? Do you see here that Jesus looks at the socially outcast, at the the people who have nothing to offer him but themselves, right? They're not important, rich, or connected. They are on the margins. They're on the boundaries. They are outcasts. Jesus looks at them and says, I will to have you. Be clean. Come in. So I hope this encourages you to say, I trust that Jesus wants me. And I pray that you will act on that trust and that you'll commit yourself to him. Now, we asked one more question at the beginning, which was, as a church, do we believe that Jesus wants this? Do we believe that Jesus wants our cultures unclean, uh, the sick, the poor, the homeless, the act, the broken, the disfigured, the weak, to be his friends? And if we really do believe that, are we willing to trust that his life is found in us pouring the love and welcome of Jesus out into their lives in his name? Because that welcome of the community of Jesus is also a part of our text. And it's not just a background part of it. It's actually central to Jesus' response to this man. So after he cleanses this man from leprosy, Jesus says something that probably sounds a little strange to us in verse 14. I'm going to read that again. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. Uh, we would probably expect Jesus to tell this man, now go and tell everyone what I've done for you. Go evangelize, right? But he doesn't do that. Why not? Well, it's because Jesus knows that what this man needs most right now is to be welcomed by the people of God. See, his point here isn't don't ever tell anyone any of the good things I ever did for you. His point is instead, don't worry about that right now. Instead, go as fast as you can so that my people can show you my welcome, can bring you back from the boundaries into the center. How do we know that's the point? Well, let's return to the purity laws about leprosy for a second. Uh, which, as I said, in part, were about showing the love and mercy of God to those who occupy the boundaries of life and death. So in Leviticus 14, God lays out the process for restoring someone who was leprous. And I'm going to hit some of the highlights for you. You can go home and read that for yourself this afternoon if you want. If someone believed they have been cleansed of any form of leprosy, they would go to the temple. 
And the priest would examine him or her. And if they were leprosy free, the priest would announce out loud, you are clean. But it's more than that. Because God also establishes this beautiful ritual that gives the person a a brand new vision of themselves and that shows God's people how they are to see and treat this brother or sister who has been cleansed. Uh, So after the priest announces that they're clean, two doves are purchased. One is sacrificed as a thank offering for God's mercy. And the other has its feet dipped in some of the blood of that sacrifice, as well as the oil and spices, which symbolize that death has been covered by life and health and joy, and then that dove is released. And the idea here seems to be related to Noah's ark. Remember when Noah released the dove and it didn't return because it had found a home? The bird flying over God's people, carrying the scent of joy and health, tells this brother and sister and all of God's people as they watched it. And you get this picture. There must have just been hundreds and hundreds of doves flying over Jerusalem all the time. So maybe they, with all of those doves, they probably smelled the scents as they went by. They saw that God had brought someone back to full life just as surely as he had brought full life back after the flood. But more than that, after the bird was released, the priest would take some of the blood and he would touch the right ear, the right thumb, and the right big toe. And what that said to this person and reminded God's people as they watched this happen is that Jesus has forgiven all their sins. From head to toe, their sins are forgiven. But not just that, because the blood on the ear, the hand, and the toe didn't only symbolize forgiveness. It also symbolized the covenant ceremonies of Moses, where the blood there represented the head-to-toe entrance into God's covenant family of this individual. You see, this blood is not just a reminder that they are forgiven, but even more so that they are fully included members of God's family. In a way similar to how we baptize with water on the head and, you know, the idea is like from head to toe, you are welcomed into God's family. Now you think that would be enough, right? But it's not enough to God. Which I think shows us how important God views moving from the boundaries to the center of his community in is. So he has another word to add to this ceremony. Uh, After the blood the priest would take oil and he would put it on top of the blood on the right earlobe, the right thumb, and the right big toe. And in the Bible, Old and New Testament, this is true of James James as well. I'm pretty sure we talked about this a few years ago when we preached on James. In the Bible, Old and New Testament, oil is primarily a beauty product. It's used to make people look and feel beautiful or handsome. It's to show yourself and other people how healthy and lovely you are. It's not exactly equivalent to a spray tan that we put on. So look how healthy and fit I am. But it's culturally, that's what it, if you're covered in oil, it's because you look good, you feel good, you want other people to know that you look good and feel good. It's a sign of robust health 
and beauty. And in this final part of the ritual, God is saying, not only are you a part of my family, you are a beautiful and healthy part of my family. I have made you beautiful, and I want my people to see that and to show you that the way I am showing you that. See, my friends, when Jesus tells this man to just stop talking and go show himself to the priest and make an offering, it's because Jesus wants him to have this experience as quickly as possible. I will be clean. Go find rest. Go get welcome. Go get all the blessings of my friendship as soon as you possibly can. And then tell everyone else. See, there's so much here that I want to say, but I'm just going to say this for now. The point of this ritual is clearly that God doesn't want anyone in his church to feel like they have been relegated to the outskirts of our community, that they have to sit on the back pew because that's the only place where they're welcome. He doesn't want anyone to feel that they're unworthy of his friendship or love or our friendship and love. The point is also clearly that Jesus, that for Jesus, having good feelings about someone, thinking good thoughts about them in our hearts is not the same as showing them the good actions of friendship and hospitality. When Jesus brings someone into his kingdom, he does not see them as dirty, death-filled, or unwanted. In his eyes, they are clean. They are full of life. They are attractive. And they are welcome as his friends. And he wants us to have that same vision for each other in Jesus. My friends, my prayer and expectation is that the Lord is going to add to our number this year. I fully believe that Jesus is going to save people and bless us with the opportunity to live with new saints. I'm very excited about this idea, but I want us to be sure that our faith in Jesus' ability to save them includes a faith that Jesus wants their friendship and that we will act on that faith and actively and intentionally display his friendship to them and to everyone who enters our fellowship, even if they come from the boundaries. Because it's important to Jesus that all of his people have social life as well as spiritual life. And because I think that kind of welcoming, celebratory community is one that Jesus just finds it really enjoyable to be in. It kind of sounds like heaven, and that's what the church is supposed to be a taste of. And, just speaking for myself, I think being in that kind of community sounds awesome, and I would like that. I'm sure you do too. So even as we pray that everyone would go to Jesus and find friendship with him by faith and forgiveness and welcome. Let's also prayerfully and intentionally show Jesus' friendship to those God brings into our church. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your willingness to cleanse us and to bring us into friendship with you. Uh, We pray this morning that those who find themselves on the margins, uh, on the boundaries, who are lonely and isolated, that they would know and believe that you want a friendship with them. And we pray that you would give them the faith that they need to repent and trust in you 
and that you would bless them with a powerful knowledge of your presence. And for us as a church, we pray that you would help us know and believe in your welcome, and that through faith in Jesus, your Holy Spirit would give us wisdom and insight and empower us to pour out the blessings of the friendship that you have given us into the lives of each other. And we ask this all for the sake of Christ's kingdom and for his work in in our lives. Amen.